John's Gospel, chapter 19, and we're going to read from verse 31. Since it was the day of preparation, and so that the bodies would not remain on the cross on the Sabbath, for that Sabbath was a high day, the Jews asked Pilate that their legs might be broken and that they might be taken away. So the soldiers came and broke the leg of the first, legs of the first and of the other who had been crucified with him. But when they came to Jesus and saw that he was already dead, they did not break his legs. But one of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear, and at once there came out blood and water. He who saw it has borne witness. His testimony is true, and he knows that he is telling the truth that you also may believe. For these things took place that the scripture might be fulfilled, not one of his bones will be broken. And again, another scripture says, they will look on him whom they have pierced. After these things, Joseph of Arimathea, who was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly for fear of the Jews, asked Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus, and Pilate gave him permission. So he came and took away his body. Nicodemus also, who earlier had come to Jesus by night, came bringing a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 75 pounds in weight. So they took the body of Jesus and bound it in linen cloths with the spices, as is the burial custom of the Jews. Now in the place where he was crucified, there was a garden, and in the garden a new tomb in which no one yet had been laid. So because of the Jewish day of preparation, since the tomb was close at hand, they laid Jesus there. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Good morning, my brothers and sisters. Before we consider God's word together, let's pray and ask for his mercy and grace. Father, your prophet long ago looked ahead and prophesied that they would look upon him whom they have pierced. And this morning we hear the gospel witness of the beloved disciple of John who bore witness to these things. That the side of our Lord Jesus was pierced, and from his side flowed blood and water. And I pray this morning that as we look on him who was pierced, that we would know the reality of his salvation, the deliverance from sin that we have because of his shed blood, and that we would know the reality of the eternal life the life signified by the water flowing from his side. Confirm us in the forgiveness of our sins. Renew us in this life. For we ask this in the name of your Son, our Lord and Savior, Jesus. Amen. Usually I take... Mondays as a Sabbath. It's a day of rest for me. It's a day when I like to go for a walk. It's a day when I want to read something that I know is going to be edifying. It's a day where I want to spend time in God's presence, praying, time in his word. And this last Monday, I found myself Monday afternoon getting a little distracted by news coverage. And then I clicked on a few Twitter feeds, and then I started to follow some of the threads on those Twitter feeds. 
And I found that rather than resting in the Lord, my spirit was given to unrest. And I was just contemplating everything that's going on in the world around us. And I'm sure many of us have come here this morning and there's a lot on our mind. Uh, We are following what's happening in Afghanistan. We're concerned about that. That grieves us. That worries us. We're concerned about what is increasingly, and it's already been this way, but increasingly becoming a a hostile and segregated society. The animosity. uh, The vicious rhetoric that we're hearing about vaccines. And this isn't just something we hear on the news. We're hearing it, I'm sure, from people at work. We're hearing it from family members. And some of us this morning are thinking about the weeks ahead. What does this mean for me at my work, at, jo- uh, at my job? What does this mean for me at my school? Uh, having to navigate what that looks like. Uh, the hard decisions that are ahead of us. And yet, in God's providence, and it gives me such joy to think of how the Lord has led us through this last year, especially in the Gospel of John. And it's at this time, at the end of this summer, going into this fall, that we've come to John 19. And in the next few weeks, John chapter 20. And God in his providence has brought us to a point in the Gospel where we are contemplating, we are looking upon our crucified Savior. And whatever is going on around us, and all of the things that distract us and claim our attention. Here the gospel calls on us and John calls on us to look on him who was pierced. And it's not simply that we try to think back and imagine what it was like to be there on that day at the crucifixion of Jesus. Because we know from all the gospels that the risen Lord Jesus Christ still bears the marks of crucifixion still bears the marks of piercing. And that means in eternity we will look upon him who was pierced. And this Sunday we look on him who was pierced. Now last Sunday we were confronted with the reality of the crucifixion of Jesus. And I noted that when we confess the creed Sunday by Sunday, we not only confess that he died, but he suffered and died. And we saw there what the cross of Christ, what the crucifixion of Christ, the depravity, the cruelty of his death, what that reveals about the depravity, the vileness, the cruelty of our sin. Also, we considered the the shame, the humiliation, the grief, the sorrow of the cross and how that reveals the reality of the grief and the sorrow and the affliction That's caused by our sin. And there in the cross of Christ, we see that he bore our grief. He carried our sorrows. By his wounds, we are healed. He bore our sins in his body on the tree. And then we also saw how the cross reveals the love of God. And in particular, the redemptive love of God. He redeems sinners and he makes them his dearly loved children. So we were considering the suffering and the crucifixion of Jesus last Sunday. And this Sunday, we consider his death. The death of Christ. And John calls on us to look upon the one who was pierced. And in particular, to note the the blood and the water that flowed from his side. 
Listen again to what John tells us, starting at verse 33. When they came to Jesus and saw that he was already dead, they did not break his legs. But one of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear, and at once there came out blood and water. He who saw it has borne witness. This is John himself, the gospel writer. He who saw it has borne witness. His testimony is true. He knows that he is telling the truth, that you also may believe. For these things took place that the scripture might be fulfilled. Not one of his bones will be broken. That's Psalm 34. And again, another scripture says, they will look on him whom they have pierced. Zechariah chapter 12. Now let's remember why John wrote this gospel in the first place. He tells us in the next chapter, at the end of the next chapter. He tells us that our Lord performed many signs. And that John himself has written these things for us. Has borne testimony to these things. So that we may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And by believing in his name, have eternal life. And then notice what John has just reported right here. Of everything to which he has borne testimony in the gospel. The whole gospel is a record of his testimony. But of everything that he testified to, this, that Jesus was pierced and that blood and water flowed from his side, this, he declares, with an affidavit. Again, look at verse 35. He who saw it has borne witness. His testimony is true. And he knows that he is telling the truth. That you also may believe. Look upon the pierced side of Jesus. See the the blood and the water flowing. That you may believe. And this morning we are called upon to look upon the one who was pierced. To see the blood and the water and so believe. And contemplating this and looking upon this. Our faith is kindled. Our faith is strengthened. So as we contemplate the pierced side of Christ this morning, I want us to consider first the significance of the blood. And the blood of Jesus that flowed from his pierced side is a testimony that he takes away our sin. He's delivered us from the judgment and wrath of God for our sin. And then the water that flowed from his pierced side. We need only trace this theme of water through the gospel of John to know what that signifies. It's the gift of the Spirit, the life-giving Spirit. It signifies eternal life. And then finally, that we may believe. That's why John reports these things, that we may believe. And we see the response of faith. We see what it means to believe in the response of Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus, previously secretly disciples of Jesus. Nicodemus had come to Jesus at night. Now they step out in faith. And we see that our response in faith is not simply an intellectual assent to these things. Yes, I understand it and I agree. But it's a confident trusting in the Lord Jesus and a stepping out in faith. So first, the blood. Notice how John introduces what happens here with the soldiers. Not breaking the legs of Jesus. And piercing Jesus' side. 
he tells us that it was the day of preparation. And we're reminded here that it's the Passover. It was the day of preparation. It's the day when all of the lambs for the Passover meal were being prepared. Now, as those lambs were being prepared, there was very clear instruction, prescription from God's word on how to prepare those lambs. And in particular, we read this in Exodus and in Numbers. The bones of the lamb are not to be broken. The bones of the Passover lamb are not broken. And so here John gives us a very clear connection between Jesus' body on the tree, unbroken, the bones unbroken, and the Passover lamb. And so we're reminded of the testimony of John the Baptist at the very beginning of the gospel. Remember what John declares as soon as he arrives on the scene. And the gospel writer John introduces him as a man from God, a man who came from God to bear witness, to bear witness to the light. And so we're waiting as we read that first chapter of John for this John the Baptist to appear. What's he going to say? What's his testimony going to be? And then John tells us when he saw Jesus walking down the banks of the Jordan River, John cried out, behold, look, see, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And so here John reminds us, this one on the tree is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Now the shed blood of the Lamb signifies that cleansing from sin, the cleansing blood that flowed from the side of Jesus. And if we go back to Exodus, we remember That on that first Exodus night, when God commanded them to take the blood of the lamb, put it on the lentil, put it on the doorposts of the homes, the purpose of that was so that the angel of death would pass over the homes of the Hebrews. That was a night of God's judgment. That's a night when God's wrath was poured out. But because of the shed blood of the lamb, the people were preserved from God's judgment, God's wrath. And that's the significance of the blood flowing from the pure side of Jesus. He's the Lamb of God. And his blood delivers us from the judgment of God for our sin. From the wrath of God for our sin. Now I warned us last week that we can think of crucifixion and the cross in theological terms. You know, just think of it as the doctrine. The doctrine of the atonement, the doctrine of the cross. And we lose sight of the reality of crucifixion. And so it is with the wrath of God. We can, we can think of the wrath of God just in theological terms. But Scripture doesn't let us get away with just thinking about the theology of the wrath of God. Scripture gives us very clear and vivid descriptions of the wrath of God. We need to hear that. So, for example, listen to what the prophet Isaiah says in Isaiah chapter 13. Wail. For the day of the Lord is near. As destruction from the Almighty, it will come. Therefore, all hands will be feeble. Every human heart will melt. They will be dismayed. Pangs and agony will seize them. They will be in anguish like a woman in labor. They will look aghast at one another. Their faces will be aflame. Behold, the day of the Lord comes, cruel, with wrath and fierce anger, to make the land a desolation, to destroy its sinners from it. 
For the stars of the heavens and their constellations will not give their light. The sun will be dark at its rising and the moon will not shed its light. I will punish the world for its evil and the wicked for their iniquity. I will put an end to the pomp of the arrogant and lay low the pompous pride of the ruthless. I will make people more rare than fine gold and mankind than the gold of Ophir. Therefore, I will make the heavens tremble, and the earth will be shaken out of its place at the wrath of the Lord of hosts in the day of his fierce anger. Now, we're sinners. We're the object of that wrath. We're the object of his fierce anger. We're the ones he's going to destroy from the face of the earth. Now the question is, what hope do we have? Well, probably the most well-known verse from the Gospel of John. God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Whoever believes in the son, the only son given from the father, that one, the believer, will not perish. Now, we know that we will not perish under the judgment and wrath of God because the lamb was slain in our place. Last week, we saw that the Lord Jesus took on our sin, our vile and cruel and disgusting sin. This week, we're reminded that he bore the wrath of God for our sin and the judgment of God for our sin. And the blood that flowed from the side of Jesus was the blood of the very Son of God. The Son of God given by God the Father. Because he loved the world in order to save us from our sins. And again, that's why the prophet Isaiah says, He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. And then he says, Upon him was the chastisement, the punishment, the wrath that brought us peace. Now, who crushed him? Who pierced him? Whose chastisement? God's. God crushed him. God pierced him. It was the chastisement and wrath of God that was upon us. And the result is peace. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. Now, we'll hear this in the coming weeks. But remember the first words out of the mouth of the Lord Jesus to his disciples. On the third day when he was raised from the dead, remember the first word out of his mouth to them. On the evening of that first day, peace, peace, peace be with you. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And so John calls on us to look on him who was pierced and see the blood that flowed from his side. It's the blood that delivers us from the judgment and the wrath of God. Upon him was the chastisement that brings us peace. Now we know that peace. We know that deliverance. We know that salvation if we believe in him. And John says, I testify to this. He was pierced. The blood flowed from his side. That you may believe. So the blood, but also the water. Not just blood flowed from his side, but water. Now, what is the significance of the water? 
that flowed from his side. There have been some articles that have looked at this from a medical point of view and shown that this was, this was evidence that he was truly dead, the separation of the water and the blood from his pierced side. And that's fine, that's true. But that's not why John is reporting this to us. That water and blood flowed from his side. And John has been very careful throughout the gospel to develop this theme of water. And throughout the gospel, water is tied to, it signifies, eternal life and the gift of the Spirit. And so when we come to John 19 and we read that he was pierced and we read that water flowed from his side, that's what it means. It signifies the gift of eternal life. It signifies the gift of the Spirit. God so loved the world that he gave his only Son that whoever believes in him would not perish in their sins, but have eternal life. That's what the water signifies. And if we just briefly trace this theme, at least in the first part of John's gospel, again, the testimony of John the Baptist, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. But then what does John go on to say? This is he who baptizes you with the Holy Spirit. Now John is standing in the Jordan River when he says this. And there we see that first clear connection between the gift of the Spirit and water. The Son not only takes away sin, he gives, he baptizes you with the Spirit. And then you'll remember John 3 when Jesus came, or Nicodemus came to meet with Jesus at night. And Jesus said to him, you must be born again. You need new life. You need eternal life, Nicodemus. And then he says, unless you are born of water and the Spirit, you cannot enter the kingdom of God. You need that new birth. You need that new life. The new life that only I can give. Unless you're born of water and the Spirit. Unless you receive that eternal life. And here's Nicodemus, a well-known, respected, godly teacher of Israel. He needs eternal life. And then in the next chapter, we meet the woman at the well. Miles apart from Nicodemus. Nicodemus meets Jesus in Jerusalem. Here's the woman in the territory of Samaria. Samaria. She's a Samaritan. She's not a respected, godly individual like Nicodemus was. She's a woman of ill repute. Jesus knows it. He confronts her on that. But then what does he offer? He offers her living water. I give you living water. If you drink it, you will never thirst. And the one who drinks it, it becomes in him. A spring welling up to eternal life. Yes, Nicodemus needs this living water. So does the woman, the Samaritan woman of ill repute. She needs this living water. She needs eternal life. And then remember John 7 on the last day of the feast. The feast of tabernacles. Jesus stands up on that day and he cries out, Whoever is thirsty, come to me and drink. For as it is written, out of the belly of believers will flow Rivers of living water. And then John gives us a comment. He doesn't very often comment. But here he makes a comment. He gives us an explanation. Now this he said about the Spirit. Jesus says, come and drink. Come and receive the living water that I give you. And John says, now this he said about the Spirit. Whom those who believed in him were to receive. For as yet the Spirit had not been given because Jesus had not 
yet been glorified. So now we're waiting for his glorification. When is Jesus going to be glorified? We're waiting for that hour, when the hour comes. And in John chapter 12, Jesus says, now is the hour, now is the son glorified. When I'm lifted up, when I die like a grain of wheat in the earth, that is when I'm glorified. And remember what he prayed to his father in John 17. Father, glorify me. And so in the crucifixion of Jesus, in the death of Jesus, we see the glorification of Jesus. That's the moment of glorification. We've been waiting for that moment. This is the time when the water will flow forth, the living water, the eternal life, the gift of the Spirit. And so when he is pierced, water flows from his side. Now John quotes Zechariah chapter 12. They will look upon him whom they have pierced. Zechariah 12, verse 10. But just before that statement, Zechariah promises on that day when he is pierced, God says, I will pour out the spirit of grace. And so it's been fulfilled. So it's happened. The spirit of grace, the spirit of life, eternal life. And we see here a very important type in the Old Testament. And this is important because of how Joseph of Arimathea and how Nicodemus respond when they look upon him who was pierced. There's a moment after the exodus, after the people have been delivered from slavery in Egypt because of the Passover lamb. They've gone through the waters of the Red Sea. They've come into the wilderness, and they're thirsty. Exodus chapter 17. And they begin to grumble amongst themselves. They complain to Moses, did the Lord bring us out here so that we might die of thirst? And as they grumbled among themselves, they asked a question. Is the Lord among us or not? Is the Lord among us or not? And so Moses went to the Lord and asked him, what should I do? And the Lord says to Moses, gather the elders, gather the people before this rock at Horeb. And then he says, I will be on the rock. And there the Lord identifies himself with the rock. I will be there on the rock. I am the rock. And he says to Moses, take the staff, the staff with which you struck the Nile. Now remember what happened when Moses struck the Nile. Water and blood. Water turned to blood. And he killed the Nile. And he says, take the staff with which you struck the Nile and strike the rock. In other words, strike me. Kill me. And out of the rock will flow water and the people will drink. That's God's answer to the question, is the Lord among us or not? And then we read about the Lord Jesus, who is the rock. And there on the cross, he struck. And what flows from his side? Life-giving water. The waters of eternal life. And later, Moses, in his song of lament, in Deuteronomy chapter 32, 33, 
First of all, he laments and he rebukes the people. You forgot the rock that gave you birth. You forgot the rock that gave you birth, that gave you life. But then he also declares as he is looking at the other nations and he's, he's looking at the nations that will be driven out as the people go into the promised land. And he says, their rock is not as our rock. This is our God, the one true God. And that's why John says, look on him who was pierced. Water flowed from his side. And I have borne witness. I'm telling the truth and I know that I'm telling the truth. See this, because in this, that is our God. And that's how we know that the Lord is among us. And their rock is not as our rock. The gods of the nations, whatever, whatever God, what, whether it's Islam or Hinduism or Buddhism or whatever philosophy, whatever worldview, their rock is not as our rock. There is no forgiveness of sins in any other religious system. There's no life in any other system. The way, that way is perishing. That way is death. Now the promise is, and John says, I have testified to this, and I know it is true, so that you may believe. Look on him who was pierced, that you may believe. See the, see the blood, see the water, that you may believe. Now what does it mean to believe in him, therefore? And there's some of you who are here today who don't believe. And it's my prayer as, as you are looking on him who was pierced, that God's spirit would open your eyes and turn your heart towards the Lord Jesus to see that in him you have the forgiveness of sins, in him you have eternal life, in him you are delivered from the wrath and judgment of God. But if you don't believe in him, John, Jesus tells us in John three thirty six, the wrath of God remains on you. So to believe in him is to, to, to hear the testimony of John and say, yes, that's true. But we see what it looks like to respond in faith in the example of Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus. Now they did believe in him. We're told clearly that Joseph of Arimathea was a disciple. He was a follower of Jesus. But in secret. For fear of the Jews. Nicodemus, you'll remember, came to Jesus at night. We're reminded of that here. He came to him at night in secret. Here we have two secret followers of Jesus. Now we are entering into a time, and I think we all know this full well, where we will be tempted to withdraw into the darkness to be secret believers. But here in Joseph of Arimathea and in Nicodemus, when all of the other disciples retreated and abandoned, these two who were in secret step out into the light. They expose themselves. Perhaps for Nicodemus, he remembered what Jesus said to him on that dark night. John three fourteen and 15. As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up. And whoever believes in him, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. Now Nicodemus has just seen the Son of Man lifted up. He remembered what Jesus said. 
Nicodemus looked on him who was pierced, and he believed. Joseph of Arimathea looked on him who was pierced, and he believed. Now what we see in the faith of Joseph and of Nicodemus in this account is not just simply an intellectual assent. And it's no longer a secret believing. It's a public believing. And the reason they step out into the light and reveal themselves as those who belong to Jesus is because now, having beheld him who was pierced, they have a confident trust in him. And my brothers and sisters, that's why I am so thankful that in God's providence now, at this moment, at the end of this summer, going into this fall, our Lord has brought us to these texts to contemplate him who was pierced. Because as we contemplate him who was, who was pierced, that, that stirs up in us a confident trust, a faith that won't retreat. And this is why it's significant that John quotes Psalm 34 in this context. Now again, we might expect him to quote a passage about the Exodus. Why not quote that instruction about not breaking the bones of the lamb? The Passover lamb. That would be a clear connection. An obvious connection. He doesn't quote that. He quotes Psalm 34. Now listen to Psalm 34. The last few verses of Psalm 34. Starting at verse 15, the eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous and his ears toward their cry. The face of the Lord is against those who do evil to cut off the memory of them from the earth. When the righteous cry for help, the Lord hears and delivers them out of all their troubles. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. He keeps all his bones. Not one of them is broken. That's the verse that John quotes. Now the reason that John quotes that verse in this context is because he knows that having beheld the one who was pierced, the ones whose bones were not broken, he knows now that what this psalm declares, the testimony of this psalm, is true. Now, we could read a psalm like this and say, okay, that sounds, that sounds encouraging. It sounds comforting. How do I know that this is true? What this psalm promises, what this psalm testifies to. Well, we know the testimony of this psalm is true because the testimony of John is true. That Jesus, the one on the cross, his legs were not broken. He's the one. And when we look on him, we know that what this psalm promises and declares is true. And as we head into this fall and all of the trials and tribulations that we will face in this fall, we do so with our eyes fixed on the one who is pierced. And as we look at him, we know that what this psalm promises is true. The eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous. He sees you. His ears are toward your cry. He hears you. We know he sees us and we know he hears us because... He gave his life for us. He hung on the tree for us. When the righteous cry for help, he hears and delivers them out of all their troubles. We will be crying for help in the weeks and months ahead. He will hear us. He will deliver us from all our troubles. 
And in the midst of it, the Lord is near the brokenhearted. He saves the crushed in spirit. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. And we know that he is near the brokenhearted and that he saves the crushed in spirit. We know that the Lord is with us because we behold him, we see him, the one who was pierced. And remember the disciple Thomas who after the resurrection, he wasn't there that evening when our Lord declared peace to the other disciples. And when our Lord appeared to him, he said, Thomas, look, see my hands, see my side. Put your finger in my side. See it there. Don't disbelieve, believe. And Thomas answered him, my Lord and my God. And so for us, that's our confession. As we behold his pure side, we fall down. We declare, my Lord and my God. And we know, yes, the Lord is with us. He will be with us in the coming weeks and months. He's near the brokenhearted. He saves the Christian spirit. Yes, many will be our afflictions. The Lord will deliver us, deliver us from them all. And Sunday by Sunday, as we come to the Lord's table, we have a confirmation of the testimony of John. The pure side of the crucified one. The water, the blood. Because that signified the shedding of Jesus' blood for the forgiveness of our sins and the promise of eternal life. And so every Sunday when we come to this meal, that testimony is given again. And here we see his body broken, his blood shed for us, for the forgiveness of our sins. And this is a communion meal. And the Apostle Paul says, the bread that we eat, the cup that we drink, it's a communion. It's fellowship with the body and the blood of Jesus. And having that communion, that fellowship, that union affirmed Sunday by Sunday, we go out knowing, yes, the Lord is with us. So let's come to the Lord's table now knowing that here, the death of Christ is proclaimed until he comes. Here we behold the one who was pierced. Here we know the forgiveness of sins. Here we are assured of the life that we have in Christ by the Spirit.